0: who you are, family, sure. ministry. Yep. There we are, I think it's there. Yeah, well, uh, good to see those of you I already know, uh, uh, again, and those who haven't met me before. My name's Mike Betts, I'm married to Sue. We live uh, just down the road in Lowestoft for, Mo- where we- well, I'll explain a bit more about that, but we've lived there, born and raised there all our lives, so we've lived there all our lives. Um, we've got one son uh, who's married, and we've got two granddaughters, which is uh, exhausting, uh, and uh, nice and they're all piling around this afternoon so I've got to leave some energy for myself so, uh, so we're very blessed by that but um, we're also now, this interesting, We just, well, I just turned 60 this this year and um, we're actually finding that God's opened up um, uh, London to us so we're now, we're now actually uh, living for a, a percentage of our time in, in London, in North London where we're, we're, we're part of got stuck into a church sort of plant thing, an RM church plant, and um, we're involved in that, but I, I ended up going, uh, finding that God was drawing me into more and more things that that really were best served by being in London, and we sort of felt God speak to us a few years ago, and um, kind of going into London is, is difficult because it's expensive, and it's, you know, so, but Lord's provided some wonderful accommodation that we managed to sort of, uh, make use of, which is wonderful. So it's a different season for us. We, we kind of, someone said to me the other day, you know, most people go to London as a student and then retire to the coast, <laughs> you know. You started on the coast and you're, and you're you know, you're all the next season in, in, in the heart of London. But we love it. We love the, 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 the bustle of it and the noise and the activity. We just love it. It's, we just uh, breathe in the city smog. It's fantastic. <laughs> but it's nice to come back then to last often just have the the beach there. So. Yeah. A beach hut helps. A beach hut helps. So that's us and um, yeah, and I serve the relational mission family yeah. of churches right. in different ways. We're really grateful you're here Mike and um, Mike was key to, most of you will know Clive Chernick and Toby Skipper who've been helping us out over the last number of years. Mike was really keen inviting them in to help us so we're really grateful for them and we're grateful for you Mike and looking well, forward to all you've got to bring to well, us. This that's very morning. kind. No, it's lovely to be here and um yeah, so uh, let's let's get straight into the the word, and I'll try and tip that there we are without doing any damage to it. There we go. If you'd like to turn to Luke twenty two, um, now this is a normal sort of scripture that you tend to people t- we tend to focus on in Easter. Uh, so we're going to look at the the importance of Gethsemane moments, and uh, you might think, oh, that's it's uh, an Easter passage. Well, actually. That all of that sort of passion, uh, time, Jesus leading up to the cross, the cross, the resurrection, to be honest, that's an everyday thing, isn't it? I mean, we put focus on it at Easter, but, you know, the Christian faith is built around the events of the passion. It's built around what Jesus accompanied for us uh, in his death and resurrection. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, says... As of first importance, Christ died for our sins, was buried, and was raised again in accordance with with the Scriptures. So first importance of anything in our faith is to do with the fact that Jesus died for our sins, was buried, was actually dead, and then actually physically rose again in accordance with everything the Scriptures said was going to happen. And if you're new to the Christian faith, you're still exploring what it is to be a Christian, let me tell you this, there is nothing more important than getting to know the fact that Jesus died for your sins and that he rose again in newness of life so that you can be reconciled to the Father because of what he went through for you. This, that, that is of first importance. Whatever else you know or don't know, however, whether you can speak Greek, Hebrew, know the Bible backwards, forwards, first importance is that. And God's, God's ways are actually very simple. They're not easy, but they are simple. And Paul outlined there, first importance, Jesus died for our sins, was buried and raised again on the third day. So we're kind of cutting into the story um, before Jesus' crucifixion. as this moment when he's contemplating what is ahead. He's under great strain. He's facing, the, in some ways, the unknown, although he knows that he's come to, to die, as it were. He's facing being out of control, He's facing being under strain. He's facing the uncertainty of all that's before him. The pressure, the difficulty, the the uh, anxiety uh, of all that's ahead. And he's in this moment. And let's read what, uh, what happens. So uh, in verse 39, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep exhausted from sorrow why are you sleeping he asked them get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation father i pray as we just look at these verses together and think about some of what it was that you um, faced help us to learn so that we can follow your example when we too as as the church in this nation as a local church, and as individual followers of you, when we face times of great uncertainty, strain, and uh, transition. Help us, Lord, because there's things we can learn from how you handled this. And I pray for the church here that something will just be left with them this morning that will do them good and encourage them in the journey that you've got for them in the coming days. In Jesus' name. Amen so you've got this Mount of Olives moment it was marking an end and it was marking a beginning it's what is sometimes called a liminal space a liminal space now a liminal space means the passing of one thing and the birth of another the cross and the resurrection are both involved Gethsemane encompasses both and um, we find that sometimes liminal spaces which we all go through we all go through liminal spaces the end of something, the beginning of something else we all go through those and as churches, local churches we go through those kind of liminal moments as a nation we go through them we could even say, I suppose if you observe perhaps the last few years that nationally and internationally we've had to face with COVID that was a liminal we're still in a liminal space uh, having gone through that, it was the, the end of one thing and the beginning of something. I don't quite know what is life going to look like uh, as, as we face these sorts of things. Massive um, global economic upheaval, war in Ukraine, all of us afraid to turn the heating on now, all those, you know, cutting up your furniture and burning that. You know, all, all of these liminal space moments where we can sense that something as it was has is, is now changed. And we, yet we don't quite know what's coming. And I think that would be true uh, if I think about uh, the effect that, say, COVID and various other national things have had on the church generally in this nation. I think it's wobbled the church quite a lot. And, and you find that even coming out of COVID, some churches not doing too badly others really struggling just to get momentum back some people who were coming not coming anymore but other people kind of finding out well you know do i feel so strong in my faith as i did there's a shaking isn't there now the bible says that you know the lord will shake everything so that only that which cannot be shaken will remain and there's loads of things we go th- we've been through as a nation and as churches even if i look around the the family of churches in RM, and, and sometimes I, meet, I have the, the chance to meet with other leaders of networks and movements in the UK. And the stories you're hearing all the way, all around are, are very much indicating the church is in a liminal space between something and something else. But no one quite knows what's going to happen. That, that's kind of where Jesus, and certainly the disciples, found themselves in this moment of change uh, the time between two realities between what was and what's next a bit like you know a baby at birth moves from womb to world that's a big change so how did i get here you know. <laughs> didn't ask for this um, and all liminal spaces are uncertain confusing dark and sometimes dangerous you recognize that? You know, both not now, but in life, that's how it's like. And so here we find Jesus in such a liminal space himself, but without a Gethsemane, there would have been no salvation. You and I would not be while you're sitting, I'm standing, we would not be here today if Jesus hadn't have had his liminal moment. So great things can come out of great times of uncertainty. And in fact, You might even say the greatest hope for mankind came out of a moment of the greatest liminal space as jesus kind of was wrestling with the whole thing that was ahead of him so let's have a look at then how he navigated his liminal space his gethsemane moment how did jesus who was fully human we must remember he's fully God, yes, but he's also fully human, exactly the same as us in terms of the things that would have affected him and the way that they would have affected him and the way he had to find his father through all the things that he went through. We, we mustn't make him different from us so that we think, well, we ca- he can't really relate. Uh, we can't really relate to how he related through this because he was different, he was Jesus. No, he was just like us. If he didn't represent us fully, he can't save us if he isn't a second Adam exactly like the first Adam except that he didn't have sin if he isn't exactly the same as the first Adam apart from that he isn't representing us so we've got to see when Jesus goes through his very very difficult time of anguish, change, uncertainty he can shine a light on how we can now follow as churches we go through that and as individuals and yeah, please God as a nation we find God through all that 's going on it's it just been quite interesting just to watch the all the, the mourning over the queen. I, I think it 's actually stirred in people an awareness of mortality an awareness of the spiritual uh, they 're expressing it in different ways and, but, but you 're noticing more and more people that they 're connecting with something of of eternal things because they 've been brought face to face. With the loss of someone that they love, even though many people have never never met her, and and something's being stirred. And please God, perhaps it might lead to a spiritual hunger that God can work with in this nation to bring many to Christ. That would be wonderful, wouldn't it? And so Jesus, what what do we find? He um, he did well. First of all, are you are you still with me? First of all, yeah. right? Sticking, you haven't gone to sleep, right? Okay, here we go so first thing is this Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives isn't that interesting Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives one of the things that prepares us for change for steps of faith for challenges is if we've developed a lifestyle of intimacy with God even Jesus, as usual, went out to be with his father. For him, he liked being in this olive grove. I love olive trees. I think they're great. I've got a few in the garden. I've killed a few, but I've still got a few. I've still got a few that uh, tremble when they see me. But they're, they're in the garden. They're still going. But uh, an olive grove is a beautiful thing. And Jesus, it was just outside the city. So who knows? You know, Every, every morning, it says uh, elsewhere in Hebrews that, um, you know, he used to lift up his voice with loud cries and tears to his father. Other times we read of him getting up a great while before day so that he could find some space before everybody else got up. Jesus, as usual, went to the Mount of Olives. What's your as usual? What's your place? What's your happy place in God? I don't know. It can, you know, everyone's different. I I, I, do, I do think um, we have to... You know, you sometimes can listen to people who say, oh, yeah, I, I get up, at, I don't know, three o'clock, pray for four hours, and, you know, and you think, wow, I'm not a very good Christian, when you hear that. Pete Gregg once said, find what makes you feel closest to God and then keep doing it. <laughs> I thought that was really, really great. Find what helps you keep close to God and then keep doing it. And Jesus, as usual, found his place, Gethsemane. He went there regularly, regularly. its part of the rhythm of his life that prepared him both for times of great fruitfulness in ministry when he's got crowds coming to him, there's kingdoms breaking in, and it's all going on, and he's thinking, whoa, I really need to anchor myself in my, in my father's presence so I can really be fruitful and keep myself centred. It also anchored him when he faced great transition and difficulty. It anchored him. I found that I think co- what COVID has done to many Christians is I think it has, when it's stripped away all the uh, usual routines of Christian life, like going to church, going going to house groups and things, which, yes, are vital. When we found we can't do any of that, sometimes I think it's God's way of just gently shaking us and saying, well, what actually, where is the strength then? Where is your strength? And that's not to say that to be critical that's to say sometimes the lord pulls the props away for a little while <laughs> just to help us grow stronger so that actually there's something in the tank that is just us and our father and that's who jesus had here there was no one else he 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 was there with his father as usual see if if god is if if god is not a stranger to us then it's a lot of, it's a it can still be painful and difficult when we go through tricky times in life but it's a lot easier if you've got the proximity and the relationship and the rhythm of living a life in dependency and intimacy with with God our father and Jesus had that rhythm and notice it says the disciples followed him they they they, they also had that they also had that uh, that rhythm and i'd encourage you as uh, As a church, you know, uh, rhythms of prayer, whatever that looks like collectively, this is not a time to be easing off that. It's a time to be intensifying it, because things are things are one in prayer that have massive implications. And I know sometimes we can feel we're not maybe very good at praying. How many people don't feel they're very good at praying? Just be honest. Yeah, well, the Bible agrees with you, because in Romans eight it says you do not know how to pray. So you think, oh, that's fine then. Okay, I don't know how to pray. That's, the Bible confirms that. Yeah, no, you have no idea what you're doing. But the Holy Spirit Himself, with groans and sighs, too deep for words, kind of lifts our weak prayers. Our uh, unknowing prayers into the presence of God where they go up like a, a fragrant incense before the Father and they move the arm of God. I tell you, that's motivation to pray, not because you feel very articulate or you can pray for a long while or you know what to say or someone might have stole what you were just going to say and they say, oh, you've nicked their prayer now. Or <laughs> we'll pray it again anyway. It doesn't, yeah, theirs wasn't that good anyway because the Bible says it wasn't very good. It's just you know, It's not a competition. The disciples followed him, and they, they engaged in this, this rhythm of life that sustained them. And then you notice in verse 39, <clears throat> this is interesting, he says, uh, he says to them, uh, he instructs them to pray, and he says, pray that you will not fall into temptation. So in times of, of, of upheaval, uncertainty, strain, difficulty, what's going to happen, how's this going to work out, how am I going to get through this, how are we going to get through this, Jesus went straight to his Father to seek his strength. And we've got to do the same. That's the first place to go. Notice it says he was in anguish. The disciples were exhausted from sorrow. This is is real pressure, real strain. And that comes to all of us whether in our personal lives. It can come collectively as a church. I think the church in this nation is in that kind of situation at the moment. There's a kind of a... um, uh, an anguish, there's an exhaustion there's a, there's a, a sense of oh God, we, we need you I mean, we don't have to look very far in this nation to say the tide is a long way out in terms of the seeking of God in this nation, isn't it? I, I have never known the church in this nation as dry as it is now, never and I'm not saying that as a depressive thing, I'm saying let's just be real there are millions of people that need Jesus Christ and the church itself needs Jesus Christ even more revival doesn't start out there it starts in here whenever there's a move of God he starts with his own people and often he starts with them when the tide is as far out as it's ever been I think we're in that kind of a season now Now there are places where there are real you know kind of if you imagine it like um, we've just seen the drought haven't we through the summer which uh, you know killed all our grass (laughs) but even on your lawn there's occasionally a few green patches and you think how does that how's that going and there may be just some kind of i don't know water channel or something that's keeping it going and sometimes we can look at spiritual life in this nation in this nation and there are a few green patches where god seems to be doing some stuff but wouldn't it be amazing if the lawn itself went green (laughs) so i thought wherever you go there's baptisms there's conversions there's power encounters god's changing lives i'm convinced he wants to do that but he says to them uh, ahead of that kind of fruitfulness he says pray you won't fall into temptation now what does he mean by that what would be some of the temptations that they might face at at such a time that is an open question what would they be? T- what would they be? What would? Why would he say that to them? What would they be tempted to do? Any ideas? Abandon? Pardon? Abandon him? Doubt? Him? Yeah. Yep. I mean, basically, they could be tempted to give up, <laughs> couldn't they? They could be tempted to run away, to give up, to kind of lose their confidence to sort of buckle under the pressure. And you remember that in just the, the chapter before, Jesus says to Peter, Satan's desired to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith won't fail. And after, afterwards, in other words, after you've been through this sifting, strengthen your brothers. So Jesus is asked, is, he recognizes that there's a, a moment of spiritual warfare that is key to the future. This is what I think at the moment is happening in the church. I think the Lord would say to us, to you here, to us across the churches uh, in this nation, pray so you don't give up. Pray that you don't give up. Satan's desire to sift you like wheat. But after you've returned, after you've been through that sifting, which most of us have faced in the last few years for various things, nationally and personally, after you return, strengthen your brothers. There's something about coming through a moment of spiritual warfare that Jesus sees as really important for the future. Because he knows he's going to the cross, but he knows that the future of the church rests on the shoulders of these, his disciples. And he's saying, look, I'm praying that I'm going to, you know, I'm committing myself to my father. You do the same. Commit yourself to the father. Win through. Win through. And the great thing about it is because, you know, hearing something like that, you think, oh, yeah, well, I'm a bit tired. It's a bit hard going. Yeah, it really is a bit hard going. And they probably thought that. They even fell asleep when they were in their own prayer meeting. So they weren't really much much use, were they? But the good thing was, just as um, Jesus said to Peter, I have prayed for you. That makes a big difference. You know, if... uh, it's nice, always nice when people say, oh, I prayed for you the other day, or let me pray for you. that's always great, isn't it? But imagine just letting it dawn on us afresh that Jesus would say to each one of us this morning, I'm praying for you. Whoa, that's a, that's a game changer. Imagine as a church, just hearing him say to you this morning, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for that building project. I'm praying for what you're doing in Beckles. I'm praying... You know, that that lots of new people are going to come to to know me through you. I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you won't get weary and lose heart. I'm praying for you. That's a big difference if Jesus is doing it, isn't it? And he does. He he says, you know, to Peter, he said, I have prayed for you. It's a bit like we can be, sometimes we can feel a bit hopeless and helpless. And we're a bit like Moses on the top of the hill who, you know, all he could do was lift his arms And even then they got tired, and he had to have a couple of people help him, keep him up there. But Joshua, our great Joshua, Jesus, was in the valley fighting the battle. All Moses was doing was lifting his hands. I don't know what to say. I'll just lift my hands. I'm just worshipping. I'm just, you know, I'm just dependent on you, Joshua. I don't know. I'm just going to lift my hands to God. Joshua's fighting there in the valley. Do you know, Jesus is fighting for this church, and he's fighting for you. And you might think, well, Lord, all I can do is just lift my hands. Just lift my hands in worship, surrender, trust. Jesus fights for us. I'm so glad Jesus fights for me, prays for me. Are you glad he does that for you? Because he does. And you think, well, does does Jesus really care? I tell you, he prays for you. He prays for you. He's fighting in the battle for you. And then <clears throat> note in verse 44 it says, uh, "You know, being in anguish he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. He knew he had to win the battle in prayer. He knew he had to win that and that great blessing was going to come from that. I want to encourage you to press through the spiritual battles that um, lay before you because there is something on the other side of it. So just hearing about your uh, mortgage thing, press through in prayer. Yeah, press through in prayer, because there's something on the other side of that meeting, and Jesus is going to be praying for it. So join in with him. Um, Then, next, we notice in um, verse 42, uh, it says, um, Father... If you are willing, Father, if you are willing. But you notice, he kind of poses this question to God. If you're willing, you know, take this cup from me. No reply whatsoever. <laughs> Zero. Zilch. Silence. Just nothing. Just ask the question. Father, take this from me. No, no, no answer. I think this is the moment he really needs to hear for, from the Lord, from, his, from the Father. And we all go through times uh, of what I would call Malachi to Matthew moments. (laughs) The end of Malachi to Matthew is 400 years of silence. But boy, when he did speak, when Matthew breaks open with Jesus' incarnation, those silences are not barren silences, they're pregnant silences. And sometimes, you know, perhaps some of you here personally, you've got some things that you're bringing to god father father and it feels like you're just talking to the ceiling father still asking father maybe you're praying for something or you've got something on your heart that you really want god to break in because you think well if he doesn't break in i don't know how this is going to go through how this is going to work out father father and there seems to be silence god is never silent through indifference never there is, a, there is something sometimes very beautiful about God's silences because there are always a moment when he's doing something either in us or in some other circumstances beyond us that in due course will mean that his answer will be seen to be praiseworthy and glorious, kind and good. So never, never um, be too distraught in times of silence. These are the moments of the cross. He's wrestling for an outcome. It says there, verse 43, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Now you... (laughs) um, Interesting this, isn't it? A supernatural encounter to help him get through what he was facing. But notice the supernatural encounter didn't remove him from what he was going through. God will strengthen us very often whilst we're having to go and journey through something to get to somewhere that God's got for us. I think that's what the church is going through at the moment in the UK. I think there will come times when we will sense the Spirit of God coming upon us, strengthening us for all that lies ahead. But we are in a moment in this nation when we really need God to break through and we need to be the kind of people that God can use and, and we can only be used if we stay the course. and and we find our strength in him. Remember that Jesus said to his disciples, you know, it's to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. We live in a day when we think, well, Lord, how are we going to bear much fruit? You might think in in Beckles and surrounding area, you you know, with a new building, all sorts of opportunities that that will bring. Lord, how are we going to bear much fruit? How are we going to do that? Well, there's going to have to come times when you will receive supernatural encounter from heaven as you journey into whatever God's called you to do. And then, uh, just lastly, in verse 42, it says this, um, when he's asking that question, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. But he says, yet yeah, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. Uh, the glory of spirit-empowered resurrection lay ahead providing opportunity for global salvation. Just think of this moment Jesus is in. If he goes through with it, salvation for the planet throughout all generations is achieved. An opportunity for everyone who receives Christ as saviour to be restored in relationship with God. The, the, The stakes could not be higher. This is a global salvation moment and Jesus is kneeling in an olive grove, and and his embracing of the father 's will is the pivot upon which that turns that is pressure isn't it? we can 't imagine anything more pressuring facing a, 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 a hideous agonizing um, crucifixion uh, that would that would gain it or actually finding another way through. If, If if we can find, you know, take this cup away. Is there another way? Gosh. And just just as global salvation was only possible through the cross, I would say the same thing is true for us. The way we will bear fruit is through the cross. We all have to go through the cross to find our resurrection power. And God, at times, will bring us all back to moments of the cross. I mean, the Gethsemane moment wasn't a daily lifetime thing. It was key, it was a key moment where Jesus had to surrender, He had to be dependent, He had to trust God 100 percent for the future. And he said, "Into your hands I commit my spirit when He was on the cross, didn't he? He' still living that total dependency. I would have to say that I think the Christian life, as I said at the beginning, is very simple, but it's not very easy. And I've certainly known moments in my life, and occasionally, you know, they come up during seasons of quite big transition or seasons when God's going to call you into something else, and God wants you to do something else, where He He confronts you. He confronts you with the challenge. And he asks you this question: Will you trust me, 100 percent, with your life? Will you surrender everything to me that is precious to you, that you feel you have control over, that you feel, you know, you'd be unsteadied for, unsteadied by if it was taken away? Will you trust me, even through? great shaking knowing that i am 100% reliable and 100% trustworthy and 100% good and kind and faithful and i will turn any surrender that i ask of you into glory to my name that is a question god asks us when we first come be, become christians and receive jesus it's a complete surrender It's saying, Jesus, I receive you, I've got no confidence in myself, all my confidence is in you. And as we began that way in the Christian life, we have to at times revisit the cross. Now, it may be for you as a a church, as you embark on a new venture, what better way to start that venture than to say collectively somehow, Jesus, we are 100% relying on you. We're giving you everything. We're, de- we're dependent on you. We're, we're just um, in your hands. We're in your hands. And look what was accomplished through Jesus doing that. You know, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. He surrenders himself completely to the Father. And out of that comes the most magnificent global blessing the world has ever known. What God can do with a surrendered heart. It's powerful, isn't it? But it's not easy because surrendering means letting go. And how many people like to be out of control here? Yeah. Anyone like to be out of control? We've got no control of what's going to happen to you. That's not not appetizing to human beings, is it? But that's the way of the cross. That's the way to fruitfulness. And it's the way Jesus ha- modelled for us. Jesus said, you know, take up your cross, follow me. In other words, you know, look at the example I had, I've lived and how I had to navigate it. That's how you bear fruit. So let's just pray for a moment and think about that and um, just see what the Lord might want to do amongst us. Uh, first of all, there may be, you know, maybe some some folk here and you've been kind of journeying uh, Maybe, I don't know, you've done Alpha Course or you've done whatever, some sort of, you, you've been journeying, but you know you're not, you know you've not received Christ as your Savior yet. You know you've not given yourself to him, but you know all that's involved in that. Maybe even this morning, you know, I've, I've freshly stirred that thought. Can I, can I just encourage you this morning? If that's you, Receive Christ as your saviour this morning. And as you do that, give him, give him your 100%. Surrender to him. You'll find that he, that is the most trusting and safe, safe decision you can ever make in your life. He will look after your life far better than you can. And he love, he's far better than we think he is. He's, he really is as Spurgeon said he's too good to be unkind and he's too wise to make a mistake when you cannot trace his hand you can trust his heart so receive Christ this morning if that is you it's a simple thing Just say Jesus I receive you as my saviour that's how it begins simple simple prayer and you might want to talk to myself or one of the leaders afterwards if that is you now, for the rest of us, you know, part of the church here, what can God do with a surrendered people? Wow. Just imagine that. What can God do with a thoroughly surrendered people? So, Father, I want to pray that where there are challenges corporately, that we, where we need to surrender to you and trust you, even when we can't see the way ahead, I pray that this church will model surrender and dependency to you, Lord, so that your will will be done, your kingdom will come here in Beckles, as it is in heaven. I pray for individuals who are here this morning, Lord, who maybe are wrestling with personal challenges, I don't know, concerns about work or loved ones or health or uncertainties about the future or present troubles pressing in on their minds thinking I don't know I don't know how this is going to work out it's troubling me I'm anxious I don't know how to sort it out I pray give them grace Holy Spirit to surrender to you everything just as you did Jesus to surrender everything to your father into his hands trusting him to take 100% responsibility for it, and to work it through in accordance with his good pleasure and will. Give us grace to do that this morning. And at any point during this week when we start to take it back again, help us to be those who are quick to give our surrender back to you, Lord. And I pray a blessing over this church, Lord. I pray a blessing over the building uh, venture. I pray a blessing, Lord, that we would start to see regularly people coming to Christ again in this church, that the, that the baptism service will be a regular feature of this church, and it will spring from surrendered hearts, who've just said, Lord, anything that happens now is not of us, it is of you because we're just embracing your will and trusting you. I pray, Lord, for a move of God in this place. Many stories. Lord, we just think around the town now, Lord. Many people now today, in their homes, in different things, full of of anxieties, concerns, lostness. Jesus, give us front door keys, as it were, to many homes in this town. Let this church have access... Not just to homes, but to hearts. Open hearts to receive Christ. Lord, we speak blessing in the name of Jesus over your purposes for this church. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord.